Chapter 20, Part 3 of The Voyage of the Beagle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Ugaretz. The Voyage of the Beagle by Charles Darwin. Chapter 20, Part 3, Keeling Island Coral Formations. No theory on the formation of coral reefs can be considered satisfactory which does not include the three great classes. We have seen that we are driven to believe in the subsidence of those vast areas interspersed with low islands, of which not one rises above the height to which the wind and waves can throw up matter, and yet are constructed by animals requiring a foundation, and that foundation to lie at no great depth. Let us then take an island surrounded by fringing reefs, which offer no difficulty in their structure and let this island, with its reefs, represented by the unbroken lines in the woodcut, slowly subside. Now, as the island sinks down, either a few feet at a time or quite insensibly, we may safely infer from what is known of the conditions favorable to the growth of coral, that the living masses, bathed by the surf on the margin of the reef, will soon regain the surface. The water, however, will encroach little by little on the shore, the island becoming lower and smaller, and the space between the inner edge of the reef and the beach proportionately broader. A section of the reef and island in this state, after a subsidence of several hundred feet, is given by the dotted lines. Coral islets are supposed to have been formed on the reef, and a ship is anchored in the lagoon channel. This channel will be more or less deep according to the rate of subsidence, to the amount of sediment accumulated in it, and to the growth of the delicately branched corals which can live there. The section in this state resembles in every respect one drawn through an encircled island. In fact, it is a real section, on the scale of 0.517 of an inch to a mile, through Bola Bola in the Pacific. We can now at once see why encircling barrier reefs stand so far from the shores which they front. We can also perceive that a line drawn perpendicularly down from the outer edge of the new reef to the foundation of solid rock beneath the old fringing reef will exceed, by as many feet as there have been feet of subsidence, that small limit of depth at which the effective corals can live. The little architects having built up their great wall-like mass, as the whole sank down, upon a basis formed of other corals and their consolidated fragments. Thus, the difficulty on this head, which appeared so great, disappears. If, instead of an island, we had taken the shore of a continent fringed with reefs, and had imagined it to have subsided, a great straight barrier, like that of Australia or New Caledonia, separated from the land by a wide and deep channel, would evidently have been the result. Let us take our new encircling barrier reef, of which the section is now represented by unbroken lines, and which, as I have said, is a real section through Bola Bola, and let it go on subsiding. As the barrier reef slowly sinks down, the corals will go on vigorously growing upwards, but as the island sinks, the water will gain inch by inch on the shore, the separate mountains first forming separate islands within one great reef, and finally the last and highest pinnacle disappearing. The instant this takes place, a perfect atoll is formed. As I have said, remove the high land from within an encircling barrier reef, and an atoll is left, and the land has been removed. We can now perceive how it comes that atolls, having sprung from encircling barrier reefs, resemble them in general size, form, in the manner in which they are grouped together, and in their arrangement in single or double lines, for they may be called rude outline charts of the sunken islands over which they stand. 
we can further see how it arises that the atolls in the Pacific and Indian Oceans extend in lines parallel to the generally prevailing strike of the high islands and the great coastlines of those oceans. I venture, therefore, to affirm that on the theory of the upward growth of the corals during the sinking of the land, all the leading features in those wonderful structures, the lagoon islands or atolls, which have so long excited the attention of voyagers, as well as in the no less wonderful barrier reefs, whether encircling small islands or stretching for hundreds of miles along the shores of a continent, are simply explained. Footnote 13. It has been highly satisfactory to me to find the following passage in a pamphlet by Mr. Kuthoy, one of the naturalists in the great Antarctic expedition of the United States. Quote, Having personally examined a large number of coral islands, and resided eight months among the volcanic class, having shore and partially encircling reefs, I may be permitted to state that my own observations have impressed a conviction of the correctness of the theory of Mr. Darwin. Unquote. The naturalists, however, of this expedition differ with me on some points respecting coral formations. It may be asked whether I can offer any direct evidence of the subsidence of barrier reefs or atolls, but it must be borne in mind how difficult it must ever be to detect a movement, the tendency of which is to hide under water the part affected. Nevertheless, at Keeling Atoll I observed on all sides of the lagoon old coconut trees undermined and falling, and in one place the foundation posts of a shed, which the inhabitants asserted had stood seven years before just above high water mark, but now was daily washed by every tide. On inquiry I found that three earthquakes, one of them severe, had been felt here during the last ten years. At Vanikoro the lagoon channel is remarkably deep. Scarcely any alluvial soil has accumulated at the foot of the lofty included mountains, and remarkably few islets have been formed by the heaping of fragments and sand on the wall-like barrier reef. These facts, and some analogous ones, led me to believe that this island must lately have subsided and the reef grown upwards. Here again earthquakes are frequent and very severe. In the Society archipelago, on the other hand, where the lagoon channels are almost choked up, where much low alluvial land has accumulated, and where, in some cases, long islets have been formed on the barrier reefs, facts all showing that the islands have not very lately subsided, only feeble shocks are most rarely felt. In these coral formations, where the land and water seem struggling for mastery, it must be ever difficult to decide between the effects of a change in the set of the tides and of a slight subsidence. That many of these reefs and atolls are subject to changes of some kind is certain. On some atolls, the islets appear to have increased greatly within a late period, on others they have been partially or wholly washed away. The inhabitants of parts of the Maldiva archipelago know the date of the first formation of some islets. In other parts, the corals are now flourishing on water-washed reefs, where holes made for graves attest the former existence of inhabited land. It is difficult to believe in frequent changes in the tidal currents of an open ocean, whereas we have in the earthquakes recorded by the natives on some atolls, and in the great fissures observed on other atolls, plain evidence of changes and disturbances in progress in the subterranean regions. It is evident on our theory that coasts merely fringed by reefs cannot have subsided to any perceptible amount, and therefore they must, since the growth of their corals, either have remained stationary or have been upheaved. Now, it is remarkable how generally it can be shown, by the presence of uprised organic remains, that the fringed islands have been elevated, and so far this is indirect evidence in favor of our theory. I was particularly struck with this fact when I found, to my surprise, 
that the descriptions given by Mr. Quoy and Gaymard were applicable, not to reefs in general as implied by them, but only to those of the fringing class. My surprise, however, ceased when I afterwards found that, by a strange chance, all the several islands visited by these eminent naturalists could be shown by their own statements to have been elevated within a recent geological era. Not only the grand features in the structure of barrier reefs and of atolls, and to their likeness to each other in form, size, and other characters, are explained on the theory of subsidence, which theory we are independently forced to admit in the very areas in question, from the necessity of finding bases for the corals within the requisite depth. But many details in structure and exceptional cases can thus also be simply explained. I will give only a few instances. In barrier reefs it has long been remarked with surprise that the passages through the reef exactly face valleys in the included land, even in cases where the reef is separated from the land by a lagoon channel so wide and so much deeper than the actual passage itself that it seems hardly possible that the very small quantity of water or sediment brought down could injure the corals on the reef. Now every reef of the fringing class is breached by a narrow gateway in front of the smallest rivulet, even if dry during the greater part of the year, for the mud, sand, or gravel occasionally washed down kills the corals on which it is deposited. Consequently, when an island thus fringed subsides, though most of the narrow gateways will probably become closed by the outward and upward growth of the corals, yet any that are not closed, and some must always be kept open by the sediment and impure water flowing out of the lagoon channel, will still continue to front exactly the upper parts of those valleys at the mouths of which the original basal fringing reef was breached. We can easily see how an island fronted only on one side, or on one side with one end or both ends encircled by barrier reefs, might after long-continued subsidence be converted either into a single wall-like reef, or into an atoll with a great straight spur projecting from it, or into two or three atolls tied together by straight reefs, all of which exceptional cases actually occur. As the reef-building corals require food, are preyed upon by other animals, are killed by sediment, cannot adhere to a loose bottom, and may be easily carried down to a depth whence they cannot spring up again, we need feel no surprise at the reefs both of atolls and barriers becoming in parts imperfect. The great barrier of New Caledonia is thus imperfect and broken in many parts, hence, after long subsidence, this great reef would not produce one great atoll four hundred miles in length, but a chain, or archipelago of atolls, of very nearly the same dimension with those in the Maldiva archipelago. Moreover, in an atoll once breached on opposite sides, from the likelihood of the oceanic and tidal currents passing straight through the breaches, it is extremely improbable that the corals, especially during continued subsidence, would ever be able again to unite the rim. If they did not, as the whole sank downwards, one atoll would be divided into two or more. In the Maldiva archipelago there are distinct atolls so related to each other in position, and separated by channels either unfathomable or very deep, the channel between Ross and Ari atolls is a hundred and fifty fathoms, and that between the north and south Nilindu atolls is two hundred fathoms in depth. That it is impossible to look at a map of them without believing that they were once more intimately related. And in this same archipelago, Malos Madu atoll is divided by a bifurcating channel from one hundred to a hundred and thirty-two fathoms in depth, in such a manner that it is scarcely possible to say whether it ought strictly to be called three separate atolls, or one great atoll not yet finally divided. 
I will not enter on many more details, but I must remark that the curious structure of the northern Maldiva atolls receives, taking into consideration the free entrance of the sea through their broken margins, a simple explanation in the upward and outward growth of the corals, originally based both on small detached reefs in their lagoons, such as occur in common atolls, and on broken portions of the linear marginal reef, such as bounds every atoll of the ordinary form. I cannot refrain from once again remarking on the singularity of these complex structures. A great sandy and generally concave disk rises abruptly from the unfathomable ocean, with its central expanse studded, and its edge symmetrically bordered, with oval basins of coral rock just lipping the surface of the sea, sometimes clothed with vegetation, and each containing a lake of clear water. One more point in detail. As in the two neighboring archipelagos, corals flourish in one and not in the other, and as so many conditions before enumerated must affect their existence, it would be an inexplicable fact if, during the changes to which earth, air, and water are subjected, the reef-building corals were to keep alive for perpetuity on any one spot or area. And as by our theory the areas including atolls and barrier reefs are subsiding, we ought occasionally to find reefs, both dead and submerged, in all reefs, owing to the sediment being washed out of the lagoon channel to leeward, that side is least favorable to the long-continued vigorous growth of the corals. Hence, dead portions of reef not unfrequently occur on the leeward side, and these, though still retaining their proper wall-like form, are now in several instances sunk several fathoms beneath the surface. The Chagos group appears from some cause, possibly from the subsidence having been too rapid, at present to be much less favorably circumstanced for the growth of reefs than formerly. One atoll has a portion of its marginal reef, nine miles in length, dead and submerged. A second has only a few quite small living points which rise to the surface. A third and fourth are entirely dead and submerged. A fifth is a mere wreck with its structure almost obliterated. It is remarkable that in all these cases the dead reefs and portions of reef lie at nearly the same depth namely from six to eight fathoms beneath the surface, as if they had been carried down by one uniform movement. One of these half-drowned atolls, so called by Captain Moresby, to whom I am indebted for much invaluable information, is of vast size, namely ninety nautical miles across in one direction, and seventy miles in another line, and is in many respects eminently curious. As by our theory it follows that new atolls will generally be formed in each new area of subsidence, two weighty objections might have been raised, namely, that atolls must be increasing indefinitely in number, and secondly, that in old areas of subsidence each separate atoll must be increasing indefinitely in thickness, if proofs of their occasional destruction could not have been adduced. Thus have we traced the history of these great rings of coral rock from their first origin through their normal changes and through the occasional accidents of their existence to their death and final obliteration. In my volume on coral formations I have published a map in which I have colored all the atolls dark blue, the barrier reefs pale blue, and the fringing reefs red. These latter reefs have been formed whilst the land has been stationary or, as appears from the frequent presence of upraised organic remains, whilst it has been slowly rising. Atolls and barrier reefs, on the other hand, have grown up during the directly opposite movement of subsidence, 
which movement must have been very gradual, and in the case of atolls so vast in amount as to have buried every mountain summit over wide ocean spaces. Now in this map we see that the reefs tinted pale and dark blue, which have been produced by the same order of movement, as a general rule, manifestly stand near each other. Again we see that the areas with the two blue tints are of wide extent, and that they lie separate from extensive lines of coast-colored red, both of which circumstances might naturally have been inferred on the theory of the nature of the reefs having been governed by the nature of the Earth's movement. It deserves notice that in more than one instance where single red and blue circles approach near each other, I can show that there have been oscillations of level. For in such cases the red or fringe circles consist of atolls, originally by our theory formed during subsidence, but subsequently upheaved. And on the other hand, some of the pale blue or encircled islands are composed of coral rock, which must have been uplifted to its present height before that subsidence took place, during which the existing barrier reefs grew upwards. Authors have noticed with surprise that although atolls are the commonest coral structures throughout some enormous oceanic tracts, they are entirely absent in other seas, as in the West Indies. We can now at once perceive the cause, for where there has not been subsidence, atolls cannot have been formed, and in the case of the West Indies and parts of the East Indies, these tracts are known to have been rising within the recent period. The larger areas, colored red and blue, are all elongated, and between the two colors there is a degree of rude alternation, as if the rising of one had balanced the sinking of the other. Taking into consideration the proofs of recent elevation both on the fringed coasts and on some others, for instance in South America, where there are no reefs, we are led to conclude that the great continents are for the most part rising areas, and from the nature of the coral reefs that the central parts of the great oceans are sinking areas. The East Indian archipelago, the most broken land in the world, is in most parts an area of elevation, but surrounded and penetrated, probably in more lines than one, by narrow areas of subsidence. I have marked with vermilion spots all the many known active volcanoes within the limits of this same map. Their entire absence from every one of the great subsiding areas, colored either pale or dark blue, is most striking and not less so is the coincidence of the chief volcanic chains with the parts colored red, which we are led to conclude have either long remained stationary or more generally have been recently upraised. Although a few of the vermilion spots occur within no great distance of single circles tinted blue, yet not one single active volcano is situated within several hundred miles of an archipelago or even small group of atolls. It is therefore a striking fact that in the friendly archipelago, which consists of a group of atolls upheaved and since partially worn down, two volcanoes, and perhaps more, are historically known to have been in action. On the other hand, although most of the islands in the Pacific which are encircled by barrier reefs are of volcanic origin, often with the remnants of craters still distinguishable, not one of them is known to have ever been in eruption. Hence in these cases it would appear that volcanoes burst forth into action and become extinguished on the same spots accordingly as elevatory or subsiding movements prevail there. Numberless facts could be adduced to prove that upraised organic remains are common wherever there are active volcanoes, but until it could be shown that in areas of subsidence volcanoes were either absent or inactive, the inference, however probable in itself, that their distribution depended on the rising or falling of the Earth's surface, would have been hazardous. But now I think we may freely admit this important deduction. 
Taking a final view of the map, and bearing in mind the statements made with respect to the upraised organic remains, we must feel astonished at the vastness of the areas which have suffered changes in level either downwards or upwards within a period not geologically remote. It would appear also that the elevatory and subsiding movements follow nearly the same laws. Throughout the spaces interspersed with atolls, where not a single peak of high land has been left above the level of the sea, the sinking must have been immense in amount. The sinking, moreover, whether continuous or recurrent, with intervals sufficiently long for the corals again to bring up their living edifices to the surface, must necessarily have been extremely slow. This conclusion is probably the most important one which can be deduced from the study of coral formations, and it is one which it is difficult to imagine how otherwise could ever have been arrived at. Nor can I quite pass over the probability of the former existence of large archipelagos of lofty islands, where now only rings of coral rocks scarcely break the open expanse of the sea, throwing some light on the distribution of the inhabitants of the other high islands, now left standing so immensely remote from each other in the midst of the great oceans. The reef-constructing corals have indeed reared and preserved wonderful memorials of the subterranean oscillations of level. We see in each barrier reef a proof that the land has there subsided, and in each atoll a monument over an island now lost. We may thus, like unto a geologist who had lived his ten thousand years and kept a record of the passing changes, gain some insight into the great system by which the surface of this globe has been broken up and land and water interchanged. End of chapter 20, part 3 Recording by Joseph Ugaretz, Brooklyn, New York, www.mountebank.org